since I've been driving into the city, since I've been living in Portland, there, <laughs> I'm coming across a lot more drivers and a lot more people with different driving abilities than I did when I was living in Bend. And uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of mistakes made and I'll get cut off or I'll cut someone off. And <laughs> I want to, I want to get your guys' take on this. So when someone does something, you know, like cut you off or like swerve in the wrong lane or, it, you know, just gets you riled up while you're on the road. Are you like cursing at them? Are you flipping them off? Are you trying to get their attention? Or do you just like shake your head and just like act act like disappointed because that's the thing it's like i feel like if i'm a bad driver or if i did a bad driving move and i cut someone off and i feel bad about it and i look back and they're just like shaking their head like a disappointed parent i think that's that feels worse than like a like a fuck you like you're you like someone just freaking out because if someone's just freaking out at me i'm just sort of laughing at them ryan i guess you don't have a car i learned how to drive in the city East coast style though when i did have a car here and I mean, I, I definitely swear at them. I don't think I'll flip them off, but I might give some exorbitant hand gestures. But that being said, it's all part of the game. You have to recognize when you're driving in the city, right? And this was a seminal moment for me in my Philadelphia driving experience. I tell this mundane story often, but this woman just cuts off everybody onto an exit onto the highway and it's one of those situations where you have to slow down at in the intersection so she is slowly cutting this entire line of people that have been waiting 30 minutes to get to this green light she's cutting all of them off horns are blaring she just stared forward because at the end of the day if you're ahead of the person they have to, they're responsible for you, not the other way around, right? I've learned this the hard way with accident liability, with stories we don't need to get into. But if you're ahead of someone, you can cut them off. And there's pretty much zero consequence for it, as long as it's not like overtly dangerous. So that's kind of the just the mentality that you got to do. It's kind of not giving a shit. And if someone's disappointed with you, plow through. I would say. Going to busier places, like, obviously, going back to the Bay Area that we did, like, twice a year, every year. In California, you just notice that, like, everybody is a better, worse driver. Like, it's this weird juxtaposition of, like, everybody's going way faster. Everybody's way closer to each other. People are zigging in and out of lanes on five, six-lane freeways, cutting each other off, all this stuff. But at the same time, like... You know, like, it's a miracle people don't get in more accidents. And so it's almost like you shouldn't probably be going as fast as you're going and doing what you're doing. But that's the way it is. So everybody's, like, actually kind of pretty good at it. Kind of what you were saying, Jack. I think when there's this, like, unspoken, like, we know it's cutthroat, we just kind of go with it. I feel like that's East Coast. I drove on the East Coast, like, once. And I was driving a U-Haul from Upper West Side Manhattan to Brooklyn. I was terrified. But I've been in plenty of Ubers and comparing those experiences, no one really gets super upset. They might be like, you're an idiot, but there's just this unspoken cutthroatness. West Coast, Washington, where like I drive a lot, that's where I'm like loud, pissed off. People are cussing at each other and like flipping each other off because everyone in Washington drives like shit. They're terrible. Absolutely. So I feel like, I don't know what it is. It's like 
people in Washington are expecting like safety and courtesy, but it's just like a complete shit show and they get pissed off at each other. Where like New York, East Coast, it's like unspoken, we get it, we're all trying to get somewhere. So so I might just start doing that. I might just start driving really aggressive and be the king of the road. Hopefully I don't get pulled over. Might have just jinxed myself, but I might just start start that East Coast mentality. Because I have heard that. A lot more wild there. West Coast. A lot more passive. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the seventh episode of No Country for Big Men. My name is Patrick Leapart. <laughs> Let me tell you, we have a special episode this week. Want to know why? Well, first of all, we're going to be joined by a special guest, someone who we've been pointing the idea around. She might join. She might not. She hates us. She doesn't. She loves us. She loves basketball. It is Olivia Snow, a.k.a. Livers. And I am joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jack Butler, a.k.a. Jackalus Cage, and Ryan Leapart, a.k.a. Rai Rai. We have, we have a great episode this week for you guys, and one of the reasons why it's a fantastic episode is because we had the No Country for Big Men bowl game. That's right. Sixers versus Warriors last night. That was Tuesday night. We record these on Wednesday, so if you don't know that by now, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, Tuesday night, Sixers, Warriors, big stars were out. Steph and Embiid were out. So not, you know, the game that TNT really wanted to televise. Obviously, they wish the big boys were in, but, you know, it's mid middle of the season. It's actually like tail end of the season now that I think about this. Jackie brought this up. Uh, the other night when we were getting some dubs on Warzone. Just kidding, we haven't won in a while. Got to step up the game. But it was an interesting game. Jackie said this before the show. It was an interesting game. Um, I want to hear your reasons why it was interesting. But Can you me, announce like, the winner at least? Can we do that? Can we say that no, our side won? The, the motherfucking 76ers. I think we're the first team to 30 wins. Uh, I'm on it. So that's pretty. Cool. I don't know. We're we're the best. We have the best record in the NBA, and we're six and one without Embiid. It's either five. Do you have the best record in the NBA? It's, I don't think the Jazz have been playing well. Jazz have a better Since winning percentage. We have the same amount of yeah. wins. So you have the second best record in the NBA. This is bullshit. Do they win tonight or something? I think they're playing Brooklyn, but Brooklyn's not playing any of their three oh stars. God. So I think that they will get. I hope tonight. Brooklyn loses. The Sixers are hanging on to that number one seed. It got a little close there. Sixers are still on top of the East, playing pretty well without Joel. Ryan, I am 100% coming around to your take from that Titus guy that you quoted and how that you don't want your team peaking in the middle of the season. I also listened to the Low podcast, Zach Lowe for ESPN, and they were him and his guests were talking basically the same thing with LeBron and the Lakers and how this is good for the other players, the role players to get time. 
playing without LeBron because obviously you're going to have to do that. Wow. I didn't realize Zach Lowe listens to our podcast. Hi, Zach. Please stop stealing my takes. Everyone's listening. Please stop stealing my takes. We got. Thank you. We got Steve Kerr. We got Zach Lowe. We got the biggest people in the NBA. Hopefully soon we can get some, you know, maybe JoJo will give us a shout out. I also want to say I just called him out for stealing my take that I stole from Mark Titus. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Thank you. There you go. Beautiful. Jack, I want to know your thoughts of the third quarter of that game. You thought you were coming back. You guys, the Warriors had the lead in the fourth. You guys were up like six or four or something stupid, but obviously that wasn't going (laughs) to hold that long. So uh, tell me what you're thinking. Uh, in that third quarter. What was I thinking during that third quarter? I guess just give me your game My analysis. broad your game takes. I mean, well, what I was thinking of the third quarter is I was thinking about how god-awful the 76ers looked for that third quarter. I mean, after Thank a you. pretty quality first quarter, uh, then absolutely terrible bench minutes in that second quarter, specifically from Dwight Howard. To start the third quarter... Notice, notice just... his negativity. He can't even talk well about his own squad. Wait, he's yeah, only what? You're, you're bashing, bashing on the six. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, I didn't think I was done. But you know, I guess I was. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize hot, that you're coming out, out uh, in the first first. Uh, let's see, five minutes here and losing losing the first five minutes of the third quarter by ten points. Uh, I, I didn't think that that was good. And then losing the next 40 seconds by four points and then losing the next, uh, let's see, three minutes by five points. I didn't think that that was good, but I don't know. I, I watch basketball, but I, I don't know. Oh, you watch basketball? But, but I don't think that do. that's very good. I don't <laughs> think that losing the quarter by 19 is, is particularly good. No, it was one of the worst quarters I've seen. The thank, you. Play this wow, season. thank you. Wow. Thank you. No, it was. I mean, like, I can't even no. be biased and say it was a good I mean, that's why it was – that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, my God, the Sixers look terrible after looking extremely good in the first quarter. That first five minutes of the first quarter, they were plus 16. Obviously, they went out to a really big lead. They were extremely physical with the Warriors, and the Warriors tend to struggle against physical teams. I mean, the perimeter defense was really good, as it usually is. For the Sixers, it got um, – a lot stronger in the fourth quarter. Again, I mean, it just seemed like it was a flex of some kind in the first and fourth quarters when they kind of needed it, although it was obviously extremely concerning with that start of the third quarter, uh, why they just went so dead. And, you know, I mean, look, Andrew Wiggins started to hit some shots that he was missing in all the other quarters, so that was a big part of it, I thought. You know, Wiseman specifically came out and was a lot better. And even though Tony Bradley was essentially taking it to him in terms of rebounding, like Wiseman did better in those minutes. And also, you know, Jordan Poole was coming out specifically and being pretty efficient. And obviously, Ubre was as well. So it was really just one quarter of sort of pretty lax defense. I think Korkmaz played really poorly. In that time, they also switched Draymond onto Tobias at that point in time, so that was a little bit better defensively for the Warriors, which was something that they weren't doing, um, you know, as much in the first quarter. 
And again, by the time it got to the fourth quarter, though, uh, wow, Matisse Thibel, if you look at his stats, not really going to show up that he did particularly great. I mean, and he was minus 17 on the night, so he technically had the worst plus minus on the team. There was a chunk in the start of the fourth quarter where he was just pretty much clamping down on Jordan Poole. And I think, while I don't think anything resulted in a steal, he had probably about like five deflections or five, you know, a couple times where he reached in, almost got a steal, a couple almost block shots. And I think that sort of essentially, for lack of a better term, like set the tone in a sense and got in Jordan Poole's head, who at this point for the Warriors, Jordan Poole is actually might be one of their closing guys that they go with toward the end, even when Steph is on the floor in the future. And, you know, once he clamped down on pool and pool kind of got a little bit probably in his own head about it. I mean, it was really difficult for the Warriors to score. So, um, I mean, Thibault made a big difference at the start of that fourth quarter, even though it was not particularly good game for him overall. Do you think Steve Kerr was having fun losing in the first half and then, you know, carried that to his team and in the, in the second half told him to, uh, yeah, he was like, he was, fun. He you was know. like, it, they were down. They were down a lot of fun losing in the first five minutes of the first quarter. He was like, "This is fantastic. I love this." Well, it, I, it, this it, is fulfilled. It fulfilled criteria number one, which is KD is not here. So yes, he was having fun. He's having a fantastic time, and he loved it. Tell me more about Jordan Poole because I know he's been playing well lately. I want to know a little bit more about his play style because I didn't watch the game last night. Spoiler alert. I haven't watched wow. much Warriors Jesus lately because they Christ. blow, but my boy Nate picked up Jordan Poole in my fantasy league, and I want to know if I should be jealous or not. Probably not, although I think he's going to get a pretty significant run as the leader of a second unit for an NBA team, which for fantasy-wise, I, you know, I don't know if he's picking him up. My boys only start. Good. My boys only start. Okay. Um <laughs> Jesus. Essentially, Jordan Poole, what he has been in the second half of the season so far, which is only a few games since he barely played at all in the first half of the season, was sent to the G League. He's probably one of the more natural-looking scores that they have. I mean, do is he as good as Andrew Wiggins numbers-wise? He's almost there in terms of his efficiency. I mean, his volume isn't quite there, but he can get by somebody. Like he has a handle. He he got by Thibel. Thibel just did a fit. You know, once or twice, Thibel just did a fantastic job of sort of poking the ball away and recovering. And when they were playing the Jazz, he was attacking Rudy Gobert a little. They've definitely found something that I didn't think was there with him after watching him in his rookie season. Pretty good in the pick and roll. He's had some chemistry with Wiseman. And to be honest, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, like takeaway wise, was he almost looked like the most aggressive one in crunch time without Steph. Now, he wasn't particularly effective, but it's his second year. And I think in a ways that was good for him to get some crunch time minutes if he's going to be something, because he might very well be leading this second unit uh, for the rest of the year and play an important piece for them next year. And I thought that one of the key things was Draymond was kind of looking for him. They they were kind of running the same things that they do with Steph with him. You know, if Draymond's looking for you, that's a pretty that's a pretty good 
you know, sign of respect. And he at least seems to have some guts, which I can't say the same about Wiggins and Ubre's got some guts. I mentioned it pre-show, and I went to bed thinking that the Warriors were going to win because they had a lead heading into the fourth quarter, and so I was very happy waking up. I wasn't worried at all. I was Well, that's why I didn't watch. I thought it I was knew, a dub. I knew Korkmaz was going to turn it on. Korkmaz. Well, Pat, I think you owe an apology to someone, too, because I did check the box score, and a certain someone did play well last night. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. I feel like I did this team a service by calling out Danny Green way back when. Was that episode You're pulling two? a shack. Your- when you call someone out and then they start doing better, it's because you called them out. That's what we're doing. Yeah, I am pulling that card for sure because I know Danny Green's listening because clearly everyone of importance in the NBA is listening. So <sighs> Danny Green... I owe you an apology. I called you out. I said you should have been benched for Matisse. I thought Matisse was a better player than you. (laughs) I thought he brought more. Or at least try to develop him into that role. And I was wrong. Obviously, was not patient in this uh, decision to criticize you. I had a little sample and I didn't like it. Didn't like it one bit. So I decided to come on this podcast and call you out. And since then, Danny Green has been playing pretty damn good. He's been hitting some big shots, uh, especially late in the game. He's finally doing, I guess, what the team wanted him to do this whole time. And there's there's been moments, especially within recent weeks, where I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I'm happy that Danny Green's on this team. So uh, I would like to apologize to Danny Green. Sorry for (laughs) saying that you needed to get It's a grown decision by you. Grown man decision by you. It is. And I'm sorry, Danny Green. Keep making those tough shots. Keep making those corner threes. Keep making those late game floaters. Keep helping this team win and stay on top of the East. I will never doubt your name again. Ever. You will now when that, he misses a shot. Yeah, now I was going to say maybe well, in the playoffs when he's well, missing Now that you're shots. not doubting him, he's going to go on another cold streak because he is, like I said at the time that you called him out, a streaky player. So he will inevitably go cold and you will inevitably call him out again. In which case you'll take credit for his No, What you do is you'll apologize. You'll apologize and then by noon eastern time tomorrow he will be a raptor because kyle Whoa. <laughs> oh shit that's right the trade trade deadline's coming up i'm very curious to see i don't know what the sixers would give up for lowry since he's going to be a free agent for the end of next season so can the Sixers please settle down for a second they've been trading and moving pieces around the past couple of years let's let's just get a solid core Let's get a, you guys it. will get a solid core that won't be able to get past the Nets or the Bucks, and that's very satisfactory for you guys, so go for it. Meanwhile, the Warriors are wow. pigtail. We'll play in the NBA pigtail. We'll play in game. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't uh I didn't see the three rings that my team has in the past five years. 
Oh my god. Jesus Christ. They had four stars, and guess what? <laughs> well, uh, you know what's going to be nice for me is that nice, crisp $100 bill that's going to be coming into my pocket. Well, if soon. you want 100 bucks so- from me, uh, not including interest. Well, look, I can't disagree with you and say that, you know, it depends on the price. I haven't seen any any kind of report on what has been offered or or what, you know, the Sixers aren't willing to move off of. As always, it depends on the price. But one thing that I will stay, you know, true to my guns with and the take that I'll, you know, stand tall with is jazz getting bumped in the first round because i'm thinking this is what i'm thinking right here lakers drop a couple seeds and they have to play the jazz first round and they bump in the bump them in the first round that's that's my only hope that the jazz would lose in the first round or i i guess the greatest odds i should say not my only hope the eight seed goes to the winner of the second play-in game. So the seven and eight seed play each yeah. other, and the winner of that gets it's the, the seven seed, and the nine ten play each other. The winner of that plays the loser of the seven eight game, and then the winner of yeah. the nine ten and loser of the seven eight gets the whoever wins that gets the eight seed. Wait, but seven eight nine ten. Jesus. Christ. What? Seven, eight, oh, okay. nine. Got him. <sighs> it. It's it's unlikely, but Jazz getting bumped in the first round is <laughs> better than for you. It was. Good. It is. It is. I'm keeping an eye on it. Everyone else, the whole audience, livers, you too, keep an eye on it. Watch the Jazz lose in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, there could be a really sneaky good. I wouldn't really want to play the Mavericks in the first round. I say I'm biased, but like the Warriors, if Steph is healthy, like would probably be a pain in the ass of a first round team. I mean, I don't. They're not beating the Jazz in seven games. Also, Phoenix might be the one seed too. I mean, Phoenix. Yeah, I don't think any team in the Western Conference you want to really face in the playoffs. Like, it's not going to. I'll play San Antonio. That's. I think that's the only exception. But that. you are correct. You're right. I mean, playing the Grizzlies would be probably annoying. Jack, I do want to get your on LeBron. If we're talking about West Coast teams and possible seeding, uh, you you had something to say about LeBron and okay, yeah. So so this was, I was gonna take a little bit of you know, Ryan's stick here with a little bit of telling LeBron to shut the hell up. Hey. <laughs> so. But what? But what happened? But well, what happened? he got hurt. So. Uh, Wait, wait what LeBron were you going to tell him to shut the hell up about? I, well, I'm so, more so, interested okay. about that than the injury for sure. Well, it's still pretty much are. the same, but I have to are. change it slightly because instead of saying shut the hell up, I need to say like, you know, I'm not mad that he's going to miss like a month <laughs> is my point because wow. so after we recorded like the last episode and last week obviously with Joel and B getting hurt LeBron James became the favorite to win the MVP now LeBron for the better part of this decade has 
understood that his legacy will be more impacted, more influenced by what he does in the postseason. That's obvious. He wanted to win titles, so he was not dogging, never dogged it in the regular season. And obviously, you look at his numbers; he's so insanely good that he can go seventy-five percent and still have, you know, still be a first-team All-NBA player. But has certainly been somebody who has not not been the best player in regular seasons for most of the decade. Now, of course, starting after Giannis won it, won the MVP. Last season, LeBron said that it pissed him off that he didn't win the MVP. Um, and then for the majority of the first half of this season, we've had a lot of members of the media, and I don't know if they all have MVP votes, but I'm guessing that they're somewhat representative of those that do, obviously, the media votes for MVP. And and there was a lot of talk about, you know, isn't it kind of crazy that the best player for, you know, the past... 10 years, you know, hasn't won an MVP in, you know, since 2012, 2013. So this start of this year, he says it means the MVP means a lot to him. The Lakers last week, you know, Kyle Kuzma says it's ridiculous that he hasn't won more MVPs or that he didn't win more MVPs for the last couple years to which I was going to say, Shut the hell up. Yes. Now, I am glad <laughs> that he got hurt in the sense I was worried that there was going to be this. Are you glad he got hurt? Well, never, because I like watching, wow. like, I like watching <laughs> LeBron James play basketball. Wow. So I don't. told him, shut the hell up. You said he wanted him to get hurt. I what? Why I'm glad that he'll be missing some time and that will possibly eliminate him from the MVP conversation is because I was really worried that that he that they were going to give him this sort of career achievement MVP and act like it's been ridiculous for the past couple of years that he hasn't won the MVP when he hasn't deserved it in any of those years. He has four MVPs, which, you know, is really good. It's only one off of Jordan has five. So if he's comparing himself to Jordan, he probably does want one more. But at the same time, it's not ridiculous that he has four. That's, you know, still, you know, only only Jordan, Russell, and Kareem have more. So it's not like he's in some low category. Not to mention the fact that the only one he should have gotten that didn't was 2011 with Derrick Rose. So when Kyle Kuzma says they should have more, when a bunch of people, you know, people are saying he should have more, there's no season in, in the past since he won it, the second, third year with the Miami Heat, that he that he deserved it. He just never did. And this year it was I was starting to get concerned when he started to become the favorite and he started the year really well. But once MB got hurt, it was like, oh, it's LeBron, it's LeBron. And I was like, wait a second. Are we entirely sure? Because Jokic has better numbers. Hell Luca has better numbers, and nobody's talking about Luca being the MVP. If you're talking about who is most valuable to their team, I would say that argument might go for Damian Lillard, although I think Jokic has an argument as well. Um, it's insane to me that we've completely written off Giannis, and I know players don't win three in a row anymore, and it hasn't been done since Larry Bird, and I understand that you know narrative is the most important thing that you can have going into the season. It's the entire reason why, not the entire reason, but a large reason why Russell Westbrook won his, because it was essentially the anti-Kevin Durant award, as was Derrick Rose when he won it, because that was essentially the anti-LeBron award. So I'm... I'm 
you know, I just worry that, you know, LeBron was very clear and he he's very media savvy and he knows that narrative needs to be on his side. So he was saying it's ridiculous I didn't want. And then you have people saying in the playoffs, look, how is it ridiculous that he hasn't won MVPs when it's a freaking regular season award, right? That's why it's ridiculous that we've already written off Giannis. Now, he shouldn't be considered a favorite because he's not doing as well as some other players. But at the same time, it starts when the regular season tips and the last game when the buzzer ends. And that's it. And LeBron never at any point during this season was was the most valuable player or the best player playing in the regular season. Now, of course, when the playoff comes around, I'm picking LeBron. But at the end of the day, he was saying it's ridiculous. I have a one MVP. Shut the hell up. I think his complaint was a little bit validated because he's never even in the discussion. And I agree that he takes it easy during the regular season, but also you look at what happens to the teams he's on when he's injured. And if you want to talk about value, I think that is exactly what you're looking at right there. I mean, the Lakers missed the playoffs his first year entirely because he missed with a groin injury. And we all expect them to plummet in the standings now. Obviously, they're missing AD too, but part of that is because of LeBron's value. And I do think that the MVP kind of goes to whoever has like a most wow factor season, right? Russell Westbrook averages a triple-double for the first time in God knows how long. Wow. You know, uh, Giannis bursts onto the scene. James Harden asserts himself as the scorer that he is. Wow, wow. Like, those are the reasons. And then they kind of establish. Yeah, Steph Curry also, again, emerges as a three-point maniac. Joel Embiid playing. Settle down. Man game I've ever seen, ever. Wow, 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 wow. MVP. But we get, yeah. we definitely do get accustomed to these players play once they elevate to that stature. I, I think LeBron's complaint, I, I forget his exact comments, but I kind of interpreted it as he's never even in the discussion to where, again, you know, I called it. I, I brought this up last week. As soon as Embiid goes down, we start moving on to the next one. But everybody passed LeBron and they just kind of circumnavigated him. And it's. I think he has a point to that respect. I don't think he's deserved MVP, you know, seven, eight times. Like, I don't agree with that. So, to your point, there's been outstanding seasons and the competition has been high. But he is, a, he is very valuable to the Lakers. You know, but I, I, but I, but I have to also say, you know, in terms of people getting injured and potentially losing a yearly award, I just have to pour one out for real quick for my boy. It's with a heavy heart. <sighs> Lamelo Ball, wrist injury, probably out for the rest of the season likely ends what was a very impressive rookie campaign what was going to win me a few bucks as the rookie of the year he might still and that's what i want to talk to you about is he still the rookie of the year because first off his season might not be over i think from the initial reports 
it was all but likely, but I think what I've read since then, there's a potential that he could return at the end of the season, which would be huge for them in the postseason. I'd love to see him in the playoffs. But otherwise, I don't know if anybody's asserted themselves for Rookie of the Year. Honestly, the main competition for LaMelo at the time was Tyrese Halliburton out of Sacramento, but you know, it's Sacramento. I don't think that's going to gain any traction. The only other real competition is Anthony Edwards making some highlight real plays, but otherwise being so inefficient. And then you also have, you know, a dark horse and Emmanuel quickly, and you never know what's going to happen with that rabid Knicks fan base. But no one's asserted themselves. This has been a otherwise underwhelming rookie class besides LaMelo. Come on, give it to him, man. Are you guys with me? Give him the rookie of the my, year. My, my rookie of the year goes out to James Wiseman. Just kidding, it's Ben Simmons. <laughs> the, the perennial rookie of the year as it's his first season. Every goddamn year. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> I... It will be fascinating to see how many games he misses and what factor that plays in the race because we've talked about MVP and missing time, and I think missing time on MVP is a huge deal, but I really don't think it's as much of a deal when it comes to rookie of the year because I don't I don't see that I don't see that sort of criteria as the same. I don't know if there's technically criteria. In fact, I think it's for all NBA awards there's really no criteria uh, other than just like the name and then it's interpreted from there based on the voters. And so in my opinion, I don't really see how you, again, we still have like 30 games left, so a lot can happen, but I don't see how you could really give it to anybody else besides LaMelo. I mean, he's so far away. He's... (laughs) Dude, we got... Jack... What you just said, thirty. Yeah, games. but player, Jesus. but to me, like rookie of the year, I look less at time missed because, like, what he did during his time was so much better than no. any other. I'm not even talking. I'm not that like. I'm not talking about time missed. I'm talking about in the thirty games, someone else. Oh, oh, I see. Anthony yeah, yeah, yeah. Start yeah. exploding and just having a great. No, that season. is true. But um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. As of right now, yeah. yeah as of right now, lament. Yeah. I'm going to, I mean, you know, projecting forward, I'm going to act like nobody's going to explode rookie-wise because uh, it's not likely. So even if Lamella doesn't play another game, I, I, I want to, you know, be able to dive into it more and how I feel about him missing this much time. But at least off the top of my head, talking about this, like, I don't see missing time as much of a criteria for this as I do you know, certainly for an award like MVP, because to me, he's so far and away the dominant. Like when you think about rookies this year, you're going to think about one, you know, 90% of the book's going to be written about LaMelo and you're going to have some footnotes. You're going to have a chapter about Tyrese Halliburton, maybe a page about Anthony Edwards, and then a footnote about James Weissman. <sighs> Tear down your face. I just need this redemption okay. because... If they give this to LaMelo, it totally changes the narrative from Embiid's rookie year where he only played 31 games but was an absolute monster for those 31 games, as he's always been. And yet 
they decided to give the award to one Malcolm Brogdon, who, solid role player, but what are we doing here? All right, all right, right, right now, right here and right now, give me, even you, Livers, even you, turn on your mic. Who or what is your prediction or who is going to win Rookie of the Year? <laughs> Ryan, you first. Right, right. Lamello, baby. Jackalus Cage. Lamello. Livers. So here's the situation. Google told me Lamello, so I go Lamello. You're not going to follow Trust your heart? You're going to go with... Oh, Jesus well, Christ. my heart told me, I don't know, girl. Search somewhere else. And Google said... <laughs> and I, when I Google Lamello, it said... He might have a chance at Rookie of the Year 10 hours ago. So that's some fresh info for you. You know, hot off the press. Look at you. Mm-hmm. I do my research. Good job. <laughs> there was a similar situation last, like, two years ago. With, like, you mentioned Embiid, but, like, Zion, too. Zion only played, like, I think he played But, again, but less. you have to consider the competition there because John Morant, I agree, it's the same yes, premise, but yes. John Morant was much better than anything that we've seen from any of the other rookies besides Lamelo, and from what we saw from Malcolm Brogdon that year too. Oh, yeah. I'm the scars yeah. are still there. I'm sorry, but he deserved it. And Donovan Mitchell. All right, no, All right, this no. Is, no, 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 Jack, you beat me, Jack, you beat me to it. You beat me to it, Jack. You beat me to it. You beat me to it. You fucker. All right, my rookie of the year prediction: Anthony Edwards. Ben Simmons. And now I would like to bring in our guest. We've been teasing her past couple weeks. I know the audience has been very excited. Much anticipation for this appearance. Olivia Snow has joined us for this week. Wow, greetings, livers. Look at this. You finally made it. Would you look at that? That's amazing. Welcome on. Welcome on to No Country for Big Men. How does it feel? How does it feel? Hello, hello. It feels good. It's my first podcast, but it doesn't really feel wow, good. Wow, really? I know all of, yeah. I'm, I'm not nice. that famous yet. <laughs> yet. But Keyword. Yet. Keyword. Um, but thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest uh sports fan i mean i enjoy sports but i don't have all this like content and knowledge and stats except for you know serena williams but we'll get to that later um Oof. but <laughs> thank you for teasing you're teasing it yeah, yeah and um i guess i'd just like to have you give us just sort of a synopsis on what you're doing give us a little background on yourself and tell us what you're studying and what you've been up to lately most definitely so last year may 2020 in the thick of the pandemic i graduated with my master's from columbia university with a master's of arts and a master's of education in counseling psychology and so essentially i serve as a master's level therapist and i work at a private practice and a college counseling center in new york city 
And so I'm supporting a range of clients at the College Counseling Center. It's emerging adults who are struggling with a lot of trauma at the private practice. It's wide age range from like 18 to 50 um, struggling with life. And I'm very grateful for the work that I do and it's taught me a lot. Um, but I feel like a lot of, aside from my clinical work, a lot of the passion and effort I put into my work goes into research, and so a lot of my research interests align with black maternal mental health, um, but specifically looking at the intersectional factors that contribute to the maternal mortality crisis. So that looks like, how are black women showing up in the room? Do they feel safe expressing their pain? Um, do they feel like they're even acknowledging their pain? And how is society responding to them? And in my experience and in my research, kind of all the roads like go back to white supremacy and misogyny. And so a lot of my research is on that and how it's impacting black women. Um, but given the events of the last year, it's definitely expanded and become broader. Um, even last week with what happened in Atlanta, um, white supremacy and misogyny is very prevalent. And I think it's something you know, those conversations are coming into public discourse a lot more. And so as a mental health provider, my role is to talk to my clients about that, make space for that, because a lot of them are feeling that trauma. Um, but also as a researcher, figuring out how we, how are we as a field going to respond to this in our society? Well, that was beautifully said. I think <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> you're already fit for the podcast world. You're probably, if not the smartest one in here. Sorry, RJ. Um, <laughs> just got beat by your partner. So it's how does right. that feel? I'll give it to her. How, I, I guess, how does it, uh, if you're doing psychology, do you think it's a little concerning that we obsess this much over sports? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think that the, it's a bad thing. I think we, as humans, we attach our identity to a lot of things. I think for men, not to generalize too much, but men predominantly. Hey, hey, what, what are you trying to say here, huh? <laughs> well, men t definitely extend their identity onto sports. It's like, you're, that's why you have a favorite sports team. That's why you have a favorite player. That's why you have a rookie of the year. LaMelo, let's go, baby. MVP should have got his, what the hell? <laughs> And I mean, that's the thing, like we all identify with something and whether it's music, sports, but I, I don't think having that obsession is too bad. However, if you're finding yourself blowing a gasket and quite literally unable to cope with a loss from sports, perhaps you should go and get some help, come have a 45 minute session with me, we'll find some healthy coping skills, but <laughs> it's not it's not a bad obsession, but I think the one thing too between like psychology and sports, or at least what I've seen between my research and like with white supremacy and misogyny in sports, is that you know we tend to look at sports as this like source of entertainment or maybe like something we identify with, but it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It very much operates within the greater social system. Um, when I think specifically examples of white supremacy. Um, thinking about Donald Sterling and his racist comments that he said to his girlfriend about that she couldn't have black people at his basketball games, thinking about the response to Colin Kaepernick, um, 
Bob McNair, Chad Wheeler, you know, the most recently, there's just a lot within the system that isn't always blatantly acknowledged, but subtly communicated. Mm. Livers, where were you when Kawhi hit that game winner over the Sixers? That's what I need to chew the most. <laughs> That's what that I need is to your takeaway. Oh. <laughs> that was probably in a session, honestly. It was probably in a session with someone who was crying no, over will, that. <laughs> I will say, Livers, the work you're doing now is oh so relevant. You couldn't be on the nose. And like with this mm-hmm. movement moving forward, I think you're going to be helping so many people in the future. Mm-hmm. And you're helping this podcast right now get educated, get enlightened on certain mm-hmm. topics. Um, yeah, give me give me a bit more on because recently, uh, I'm sure you saw this too. The NCAA footage. Was, um, yes, this will feed I'm, into that misogynistic uh, field, I guess. And mm-hmm. NCAA just, just recently, especially, does not have a good give rep. context. Give context. Uh, no, no. Well, the I got context. The- you got yeah. You take it away. You take it away. So I am very much on TikTok. That is like what I do to decompress from sessions. But um, one of the women's basketball players posted on TikTok comparing the two different weight rooms for the women's basketball teams and the men's basketball teams. The women's basketball teams, I shit you not, it's just like this whole, like just one rack with like four weights on it on each side. The men's basketball team is this like, vast space with squatting racks, weights, you know, benches, all of it. It's it's huge. It's like the size of an entire like football, I'm not football, basketball um, court. And so she had called it out. Apparently the NCAA said, oh, it's not about money. It's just about space. She countered that and said, no, look at all this space. And so it kind of backed the NCAA into a corner. Um, Update, they do have the weights now after a considerable amount of social media pressure. But the fact that they thought, one, that they could get away with that um, just shows that they don't really care about the women basketball players. And then they try to gaslight them into saying, oh, no, it's not what you think. It's, It's just crazy to me that an organization as big as the NCAA is would let something like this slide. Even like the smallest member of that team, whoever it may be, you know, accepted that this was the right thing to do or what in their eyes thought this was acceptable. And that's, that's, no. (laughs) Are you kidding? (laughs) Our father, Shane Leapart, has a better workout slash gym set up in his guest house right now he has an actual squat rack the women's ncaa basketball tournament didn't even have a squat rack it had just a dumbbell set that was it and just one court and it was it's it's amazing to me that that an establishment like the ncaa was i assume so many people are working on that committee especially for a tournament as big as march madness and it went through everywhere well and they all said, okay, what? So, uh, first of all, yes. I mean, I think there's a certain point where you say you're surprised that nobody spoke up about it or seemed to catch this before and realize, hey, this is 
a really bad look slash this is really terrible, but that's just because that's who they are. I mean, like, we're surprised at this, but it's like, that is who they are. And, and then also you use the term March Madness, which is something the NCAA will not do for the women's tournament. They will not, they do not market it the same. They do, they specifically market it as women's basketball instead of just the same 68 team tournament that is exactly the same as the men's tournament. And, um, so it's funny that you say March Madness because the NCAA wouldn't even call it March Madness. And then just throwing in one more point here, but something that I was reading about this in the Washington Post, and it says, um, the women's Final Four is an annual sellout, and ESPN paid $500 million for a TV contract bundling the tournament with 24 championships. You know how much money Connecticut, Stanford, or Baylor will get for winning the women's tournament? Zero. They don't get anything. And it was reported today that Abilene Christian, the school that beat Texas, I don't know if this is true, but it's been quoted saying that they're they get like a hundred million from just beating like Texas in the first round, where no money essentially no money they provide no payouts to women for the NCAA tournament whatsoever. Right, right. The thoughts there. Well, I mean I think that the pandemic has just shown how blatant the money grubbing on the NCAA side is and, you know, whether it was how they handled the college football season with, you know, establishing that there'd be less games played, but trying to make a standard of, oh, you need this many games to play in a championship game, but then also constantly goalpost shifting or shifting that end zone target to allow for other teams to be able to be competitive like the Ohio States of the world, just so they can get into the playoffs and they can get a little extra money from it. And, you know, I mean, that's not even to acknowledge them just putting players out there without standard protocols of safety for a virus that we don't know the lasting effects of. And the big 10 had established that there were concerns about athletes hearts, you know, Offensive linemen have high BMIs. They're at risk for heart diseases and heart complications from the virus. To allow the players to go out there and play in the manner that they did kind of disgusted me. You know, you even see it now with the basketball tournament. Game gets canceled. Oregon versus VCU. Oh, no worries. Just just play on. You know, Oregon happens to win the next game because... They hadn't played two games or two days earlier. Yes, go Ducks. A lot easier to win against a a team that's coming off of two days rest. But, you know, it's just the the money grubbing is obvious and the misogyny is in plain sight as well. It's it's hard to follow the NCAA and think of it as any moral compass or any 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 conference or any organization with integrity. It's it's tough for me. It's just funny because this sort of feeds into your point, Jack, is that I, and I've said this before. If you do something now, you're going to get exposed for it. Like Weinstein, like a Woody Allen type of situation. Obviously, these are very extreme situations, but you like men that are trying to manipulate the system, manipulate their power onto other people and try to like 
be people that just be, I don't know, just bad people. You're going to get, you're going to get called out for it. So that being yeah. said, everyone on this committee, it does make me believe that they all don't care about the women's bracket at all because it, if it, it ran by all those people like down the list, they just didn't care. They didn't say anything. So Livers, I saw you want to say something. And I think, you know, the fact that there's a whole committee in charge of putting this together and like I want to make the distinction between sexism and misogyny and sexism is discrimination against women or like that gender. Misogyny is like an ad like adversely avoiding them, hating them, despising them. And so it's very active. And so for an entire committee to sit here and look at how we're going to set this up and to really just put out 10 weights for the women's basketball teams, you know, that takes a certain level of willful, like, intention, right? And maybe I'm being too harsh, but, you know, I can't see how someone would passively say, yeah, like, 10 weights over here, a whole gym over here. You know, it takes some misogynistic, active energy to kind of look at these women and say, you don't deserve something more, right? You get to look at the men who have this, but you don't deserve something more. Well, I think something that is a particularly good example of that, that was also in the Washington Post article, is the men receive strictly the PCR COVID test, which is a more reliable COVID Mm -hmm. test than the antigen test, where the women for the tournament are receiving a mix of both the PCR and the antigen. So they haven't even, the NCAA is quite literally deciding to go with the cheaper, uh, you know, mixing in the cheaper and less reliable COVID testing for the women's tournament, where they are only going with the more expensive and more reliable PCR testing for the men's tournament. And that's putting health at risk. Yeah. And it points strictly to the money. It's it's all about the money. And it makes me think that this committee is a bunch of old white dudes since A, they want the money. B, they don't care about women. C, they see the setup that is that they've provided for these teams. And they think to themselves, oh, yeah, 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 this is going to be fine, Jimmy. Yeah, you've done a great job. This this dumbbell press or this dumbbell weight set is going to be great. And you know, like it's not. It's it's just it's bullshit. It's, it's it, it amazes me actually, like how incompetent these people can be. How insensitive. To kind of to your original point about how like nobody, how nobody looked at it and got like, hey guys, like you realize what's going to happen here is like, first of all, if you're the NCAA. Like, you know how scrutinized as an organization you are. Like, why you don't have a PR person or a stronger PR staff looking at... And I know I'm sort of, like, I don't know, PR for the devil. But, like, I know that, like, if, if you're the NCAA, how you don't have a stronger PR person that you run by almost everything now. Because, like... I mean, everything that they do is going to be borderline, you know, ridiculous just with amateurism in general. But, like, how you don't run it by somebody and be like, how is this going to look? And how you don't have somebody looking it over. Like, you should just have, like, a, 
you know, it should be the job of PR people to be like, how is this going to come across on Insta? <laughs> like, like, like that is how PR people should think and how, why the NCAA doesn't spend money doing that. And I ultimately goes back to the fact that they just don't care. I mean, they just don't care that they were called out. Am, like, am I going to turn around and not watch the men's basketball tournament this weekend? No, I'm going to watch the men's basketball tournament this weekend. I don't know. Maybe, you know, like I'm also watching the women's tournament because I like basketball, but most people aren't. And I'm certainly not watching the women's tournament as much as I, the men's tournament because I don't know why, because I should probably start asking myself these very questions. But at the same time, like yeah. they're not going to, they're going to get away with it because I'm going to watch college football in the fall. <laughs> it'll catch up to them. I well, hopefully like amateurism in general will, but the misogyny of schools also, like let's not forget that the universities themselves are complicit here uh, because that will continue whether the NCAA exists or not. And whatever amateurism looks like in the future as various state legislatures and, you know, the feds start to look into it, like, I have a feeling this is not going to be the last time we're talking about this, certainly in regards to college sports, so. Oh, no, and kind of to your point, Jack, like, and, like, having this self-question, like, why don't I watch the women's as much as the men's? And I think that's a question, like, we all have to ask ourselves, and I think that these this committee was very much operating within the norm. Right, misogyny is kind of the norm of how things operate, and like women's sports is just simply not valued as much. Um, and the final point I have is like, you know, this committee of people are probably actually very good at their job. They're probably good people, well-meaning. If you met them, you probably think that they are wonderful, and they're still complicit with misogynistic values. And so we have to be mindful about how we talk about misogyny and like. How we talk about people in positions of power who make these decisions because these are the people who you know maybe these are the people who you've came across in your life and you wouldn't think that they're outright violent or discriminatory but they enact policies that are and so this kind of sparks you know the point that we need to be having these critical conversations with ourselves and with our friends and with the people in our communities because it is so easy to be complicit with misogynistic values without even intentionally realizing it because it just feels so normal. Livers, you just made me think deeply about myself after I just went about 10 minutes of bashing all these people. <laughs> <laughs> and, but that's the, and I have that reaction like, oh, too, though. You're right. I, I shouldn't just throw these people under the bus, but at the same time, it is... It, it, but, it's just strange to me, you know. That yeah. It's by. But no, and you're not wrong. Like we need to hold these people accountable. Like what? Like what are you thinking? Like come on. And it's really easy. Like we all fall into this trap of like, oh, that's a certain type of person who does that. But no, it's just like any one of us who is capable of enacting policies or making poor decisions that are harmful to people. And so that's that's the big thing about misogyny. Does it ever look one way? It's very, it like operates on a spectrum from being very subtle and almost unintentional to being very intentional and violent. So instead of being an old white man on this committee, it's a younger white man. <laughs> Just kidding. <Yes. laughs> no, you're, you're completely right. Um, so I, th I think that just 
is it just shows the whole system itself is flawed and we start giving these ideas and setting these norms onto people that are younger and youth and they grow up with it and they be, it becomes like you said normalized and these people are probably good people in most cases they most definitely are but stuff like this just slips by them because they think it's all right but at the same time i don't know how this can slip by you and you can think to yourself yes this will be all right maybe jack it's because like the women's turnout they don't give any money out maybe they just really do think it's just sort of a throwaway tournament you know just like something they put on uh that's and this is something that grows in popularity i don't know it's it, it's still it's still upsetting no doubt about it to to see a video like that and then the response and whatnot and like dicks coming out and saying we'll donate like a whole weight room like we'll drive it down there within 12 hours like we'll do it like it, how how could the ncaa just not do this up front it, it's 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 blatant bad pr and that pr person <laughs> At least needs to like try to navigate that that river. I don't know. I don't know. It confuses me. <laughs> I think it's still pretty insulting and shouldn't have happened, but it did. And the NCAA should be put on blast again, again. Oh, oh my god, they keep fucking always until they're. I don't. I even mean, know until they don't be. exist. It's the can of worms that we're we can get into another podcast specifically on amateurism, but. No. <laughs> that's all that's, that's all I'm gonna say. I mean like it's difficult because I don't even you say you feel you know, the PR person, it's like I almost feel bad if there even like is one. I, but like what when has the NCAA ever showed any kind of PR? I mean then it's you know, it would be hard to do PR for them because what are they arguing? Right? But at the same time, like you know, I I, this is they, they weird, know dude. It's they just know weird. it the, the women's final four and the women's tournament is good business that people are intrigued like there's a reason ESPN paid money for that when then how do you how do you just put one dumbbell wait that there I don't get it I don't I'm sorry I'm getting like frustrated I just don't I don't it, I can't comprehend it Tell me how this could be possible. Oh, I take this, like this dumbbell, like this one dumbbell and like the frustration it brings you. Translate that frust- like that frustration into policy. Keep that energy. Like, let, like, let's keep it going. Let's keep this energy going because it starts with the dumbbell and it ends with legislation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just, it still, it confuses me. I don't know how this happens. And shout out Aiden for... He texted me about this. He's an avid listener. And he's like, you guys should talk about this. I was already planning on talking about this, not to try to, you know, take away, take that away from Hayden. But because uh, Hayden is a very, very smart person and he should feature. He should be a guest know. on the podcast here. I don't know Hayden. I'm totally kidding. You you don't know Hayden. You don't know Hayden. I don't know Hayden. Hayden is, so, sounds um, cool. But yeah, he, he brought he brought it up to me. He's like, you guys should talk about this. I was already planning on to, but the fact that he came in and sent me that message made me solidify my 
opinion and that I should bring this to the show. So livers. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, sort of segueing to that, but is there anything else you would like to bring up and that sort of misogyny sports world intermingling? Um, I think that just, I think the best thing that like ourselves and everyone can do is just be very critical about how we might be complicit or aligning with, uh, white supremacist, racist, uh, misogynistic ideologies, um, cause they're quite harmful and they can lead to very violent acts that are traumatic for everyone. And even being complicit with it unintentionally is harmful to your own development and psyche. So do the work. Talk to yourself, talk to other people about it. Let's try to make this a better world. I love it. RJ, you've been silent. What's up? Nothing. I've just been not scared. (laughs) I mean, I can can only bash someone for for a wrong decision for so long when, you know, Liv points out that this is a more widespread issue than just one set of dumbbells, right? But it's it, it just gets me going. I don't know how that's I I'm always gonna be confused by that. So. Well, I mean, put everything put everything that you see to a microscope like that, and see and you know try to uncover anything that is oppressive about these institutions. That's all I can say. I, I agree with Liv. Like, be critical. Have a critical eye with it within Let's yourself get too. Let's get grunt on the pod and he can run us through a full workout with those sets of dumbbells that <laughs> that's true he could he could provide a good workout for <laughs> women and an even better one with, with their new set exactly that's true leg press leg press <laughs> don't end your career by putting on too much weight All right, ladies and gentlemen, the moment we've all been waiting for. And this is putting our special guest, Livers, up against Rai Rai. They both have differing opinions on who the GOAT is, the greatest of all time. Livers, let's hear hear who you got. Who you got? Who you got? Oh, I'm pushing for Serena Williams. You haven't talked about her on the podcast yet. Whoa! And I'm here. I'm Who is here. that? Have, yeah, not once. Not yeah, so once. I'm, You've been brought up. Yeah, I'm here to talk about it. Patrick, did you it. just ask who Serena Williams is? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so who should go first here? I, I, I mean, Ryan is very passionate about... TB12. Um, I do not share that same passion. Livers, yeah. guess go first. That's a rule. Okay, yeah. So well, let me just dive right in. <laughs> so Serena, Serena Williams, an icon. I love her on a personal level, a professional level, all levels. Basically, Serena Williams has won 73 career titles, placing her fifth overall in singles. She's won 845 games and lost 148 with an 85.2% and might I add that TB12 only has a 76.7%. So, 
Shigana gets him by about 10% in terms of wins. And might I add that she's accumulated those wins over 23 years. She's been playing tennis professionally since 1998 with her first official win at the 1999 U.S. Open. She's got 23 Grand Slam titles, 14 Grand Slam doubles titles, and she has cumulated, like, altogether been number one tennis player for 317 weeks in her 23 career time span, which is approximately like a quarter of her career she's been number one. And that has like ebbed and flowed. She's attended three Olympic games in 2000. She represented the United States. Okay, so I, I got I got to just, this is whoa, just, no, I'm whoa, not going to just, we're not no. going to list the Wikipedia no. accolades. No, no, no. no, no. This is not going to happen. First off, very impressive no. numbers, Serena. I admit, very impressive numbers. And thank you, Liv, for pulling that from sportsreference.com. I do appreciate that. First off, I have to address Wikipedia. the winning percentage because this is just, this is, a, this is a nice little logical fallacy that you're pulling because Serena Williams, the way that pro tennis works is you have a lot of freaking competitors. You have over 100 competitors in any given tournament you're you're going against some schmucks in the first round so yeah i would expect serena williams look at you want to compare her winning percentage to something that's comparable look at some contemporaries like maria sharapova or roger federer for that i don't have those numbers off the top of my head but tom brady to bring up his winning percentage he's going against 32 of the most elite teams he's probably not even playing all 32 he's playing maybe he's playing 16 in a season but all of those out of a pool of 32 of the most elite talent completely different story and you know the grand slam titles everybody always points to it oh 23 grand slam titles compared to brady's seven rings first off let me just go on a tangent about those seven rings more than any modern era player, he has more than any individual franchise, any individual NFL franchise. Think about that for a second. Tom Brady has won more than any team that has been in the league. And I just got to say to you, Bill Russell stands, shut the hell up. He was playing when there was 14 teams in the league and it was 80% white dudes from the YMCA. So, I don't give a crap about his rings. Anyways, let's compare Tom Brady's seven rings to Serena Williams' 23 Grand Slam titles. There are four Grand Slam events in the year, so 23 Grand Slam titles would translate to five and three-quarter seasons of dominance. Tom Brady has seven, so... Well, also, that's 23 Grand Slam titles for her singles and 14 Grand Slam titles with doubles with her sister, Venus. And her and her sister were undefeated as a duo through the, yeah. that entire career. I wish that Tom Brady would have, like, a seven-on-seven seven competition that he could compete with and win championships in. Oh, Unfortunately, who's his running not back? Who's his, who's his wide receiver? He, it's a team. It's a team effort. You know, that perfect pairing Well, is it's funny that you mentioned right? team players. It's funny that you mentioned team players because part of what goes into being a great athlete is being a great teammate. And I don't think anyone exemplifies that more than one Tom Brady. All right. Really? Uh, yes. Let, let's let's hmm. talk about that for a second because he recently moved from New England to Tampa Bay, and literally everyone in the media credited the New England franchise with Tom Brady's Super Bowl wins, 
and pretty much no one gave Tom Brady cr- any credit for those wins. He moves to Tampa Bay, and because he is so beloved by people that are in the locker room with him, because he's such a proven winner, he amasses a wave of talent from a Rob Gronkowski to an Antonio Brown to a Leonard Fournette, guys that were pivotal in their playoff run. He brought them in there because he is the GOAT, because they wanted to play for him. Meanwhile, let's talk about the sportsmanship of one Serena Williams who has had multiple controversies of breaking her racket on the court. We can talk, we can go into it more. I want to talk about how they've treated the next generation too, but in terms of sportsmanship, I don't think anybody has displayed worse for a GOAT conversation than so, Serena Williams had. this is where I'm going to stop you kindly because in her 23-year career, two decades... Serena Williams has been absolutely massacred by officials, by the media, by judges, by our society for being a black woman. They have attacked her and called her the N-word on the streets. She, at one point in California, in 2001, she, like, was... She refused to play at that tournament until 2015 because people on the street came up to her and threatened her life. She is, and you're, and you're saying it, right? Because TB12 is beloved. He brings all these people. Everyone welcomes him. He gets these wins, and he wins, and people love him. Serena Williams gets these wins and gets absolutely shit on by the public. She wears a tight outfit. They tell her that she's too muscular. They animalize her. She's been absolutely desecrated by the media, and she's continually came back with these grand slams and has continued to win, and it hasn't been enough to prove herself. And so she gets frustrated on the court and breaks a couple rackets in her 23 years of playing after experiencing all of that abuse from the media and from officials. I kind of, I give it to her. I give her some grace there. I think a GOAT is someone who, after continually being knocked down over and over again, continues to prove herself, continues to win despite that. So TB12 is welcomed with open arms. Good for him. He can be open arms with a MAGA hat. And still be loved. Serena Williams can be out. Serena oh. Williams can go on the court and get frustrated, throw her racket down. All of a sudden, she's out of the running after 23 years of dedication to this sport. There's no doubt that Serena has risen up through an oppressive <laughs> system, especially in a white dominated sport. No doubt about that. But I will say that I don't think that all of her on-court antics are justified from that um, endurance because she's even gone out of her way to apologize for many of the fines that she's accrued for those antics. So I just want to throw that in there. I also want to address the MAGA hat situation with one Tom Brady because I knew that this would inevitably come up. And I think that we need to think a little bit more clearly about this situation and with his political ideology. That MAGA hat was photographed in his locker in 2016 during the election run. Tom Brady has admitted that Donald Trump was a friend of his at the time. Now tell me, would you as a public figure be willing to support your friend, maybe even if you weren't all the way aligned with his views? And let's keep in mind too that in 2016, we had a society had an entirely different view of Donald Trump, albeit a lot of people still were negative of him. He did not have the negative 
approval rating that he had at the end of his tenure. And what happens soon after the election is Tom Brady swears off Donald Trump and doesn't even attend the White House when he wins the Super Bowl that same season. The same season he was photographed with the MAGA hat, he doesn't go to the White House. So I don't know if we can really hold the MAGA hat over him when there's been a lot worse committed uh, you know, ideologies within professional sports. And let's let's go back to the sportsmanship thing real quick. And, you know, I understand bringing race into the conversation and I, I'm willing to continue that conversation a little bit because, you know, tennis is exciting in that they have another prominent star rising up through the mix and she represents a lot of different oppressed minorities. One Naomi Osaka is representing actively the Japanese and black community. And Naomi Osaka is a phenom and I, you know, she is tearing up the majors right now. And I think she's going to probably honestly contend with Serena for her grand slam title. So I don't know what that means for the GOAT conversation. But anyways, the first time that Naomi beat Serena, you know, you kind of have this passing of the torch moment and one that you might handle with grace. But what did Serena do? She threw another on court antic to a point where Naomi Osaka wins the major over Serena and she is crying over the vitriol from the fans that she is receiving. And what is Serena doing? She's not waving off the fans. She's almost, she's just standing there because she thinks that she was robbed too. She is almost in a way by not, by not speaking is encouraging that for Naomi, which was really a detrimental point in her career. You know, it was really down for her. Um, so I don't know if that really describes a goat. That sounds like just a sore loser to me. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm all for Naomi Osaka. I'm excited for her. I think all athletes make mistakes. Perhaps Tom Brady has made mistakes by, you know, having subtle imagery in the background of his shots that might endorse a harmful political ideology, but you seem to give him a lot of grace and credit, right? And I think also you mentioned that Serena has had to apologize, uh, not had to, but has willingly apologized for the things that she's been fined for. And I think accountability is a big thing for athletes, and that's a GOAT behavior, is being accountable for the mistakes that you make and atoning and owning up for that shit. And frankly, she did go up to Naomi after and congratulated her and celebrated her. And it's not to completely excuse the behavior on the court, but I think accountability is a big thing, and I don't know if I've seen Tom Brady be openly, overtly accountable for some of the things you're giving him grace for, but as subtly, you know, not colluded with certain ideologies. And it's easy to be subtle, to keep a fan base, and it's hard to make mistakes and be accountable. And I think to be a GOAT, you have to make mistakes and be accountable and not let things just wash over you and hope that people still stick around. This conversation has gotten way off the field for me. And as an athlete, I just have to remind ourselves that he has won seven rings for two different franchises and he is over 40 years old. All right. This guy is defying father time. Everyone wants to play with him because they know what a special talent he is. Goat behavior. This is something that you didn't even have with Jordan. No one wanted to play with Jordan. He was punching teammates in practice. Yeah, but uh, 
Who was in a Beyonce music video? Yeah. <laughs> so I think we should take a vote, maybe. You know, based off the... Oh, maybe one more thing I'd add is that, you know, 23 years is a long time to be dedicated to a sport and be advancing it as a black woman and to have a very traumatic birth experience where you had a pulmonary embolism, an emergency section, and two emergency surgeries, and coming back to the sport, that's a dedication. Even if she's not hitting those grand slams in recent years, she is still dedicated to the sport. No doubt that Serena is a great athlete, but if you also watch that video of Tom <laughs> Brady tearing his ACL, to come back from something like that, man, that takes guts too. That's all I got to say. Uh, let's cool. vote. Let's vote. I'm over it. We got to vote. Who is your goat? Vote for the goat. You're leaving this up to Jack. Well, you know my vote. I'm not convinced. Well, it's not Ronaldo. It's not Ronaldo. We went over that. This arguments, livers, your argument was way, in my opinion, stronger than Ryan's. So if I was listening solely based off your argument, Liv, I would give it to Serena. Um, me myself like just knowing the, these athletes as i do i'm gonna have to <laughs> fuck. Oh, i can God. take it just say um, it no no it's tough because like greatest athlete of all time tom brady he's not like the most athletic pr- like if you wanted the greatest athlete of all time it would have to be someone like jim thorpe or Ashton Eaton, like, you know, like an actual like athlete performing athletic acts at the highest of the highest competitive field, whatever it is. They're they're entirely separate sports. Tennis is essentially individual. Like you're it's just you, yourself and the ball, obviously your opponent with with football. It's you and your offense uh, against a whole nother team, against a whole nother coaching staff. There's so many factors at play. Um, and that's why it's it's sort of like helps Tom Brady in this argument that he was able to get his teams into a position to win championships. It's really tough for me. I don't know if I'd give it to either of these players for being the GOAT, to be honest. Embiid or Simmons. I honestly, I was going to say it might have to be Simmons. <laughs> so... <laughs> Jack, I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you, man. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jack, just go with Steph. Just take the easy route. Just go with Steph. Go with Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, He's my God. He's clearly the GOAT. <laughs> Jimmy G is... Oh, livers. Livers, you like no, Jimmy T, no, huh? No, 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 no. Um, Wait, you don't, you don't think he's handsome? <laughs> Serena absolutely body shamed. But that picture of Tom Brady pre combine comes around every single damn. (laughs) Yeah, you want to talk about hatred from the media? You said he was coddled. I meant by teammates, but by the media, not at all. (laughs) I can't with y'all. I cannot. God, I do. I do. All kidding aside. I do actually hate that that photo comes up every time because we know, we know, we all know. Everybody knows the story by now. If you don't, that's on you. He looked like a bum. And then he went on the TV 12 method and he looks great. 
So, anyways, that's a separate. Point. Just get to the who, who's the goat. Who I don't it? know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> who who was in a Beyonce music video? I think that's really it. I, for me. Uh, in that tombs, it's got to be Serena. I don't know. It's impossible to. TB12 is not shaking his white little flaccid booty on camera with Beyonce, who's making it bounce on that Lemonade album, baby. Am I right? It's impossible to say, but I mean, I got to go with Usain Bolt, obviously. Uh, There it is. Okay, no winner, but shared appreciation. I can accept that. I came in right. guns a blazing. Right. In my heart, the goat will always be Serena. I don't know who TV12 is. Let me see. All right, enough, enough of the talk. Let's get to the real goats. Let's get to the shout outs here. Who would like to start out with the shout outs? Uh, Livers, the yes. guest? Guest goes first. Let's, let's hear your shout outs. You got some shout outs? I for do. Us? The staple of. Well, the first shout out I have is for my lovely grandma, Dee, who just celebrated her 70th birthday last week. And she's coming to visit New York because she's all vaccinated. So big shout out to the most lovely woman on the planet. Um, Other shout outs go to my roomies, Tasha and Lena. And yeah, love those bitches. No cussing on the show. Is it really? No. (laughs) (laughs) I love your reaction though. That was great. That was that was. You're awesome. right though. I don't think we have cussed very often, but I'm a bit of a cuss. We haven't. There's been a couple f bombs slipping in there, but fuck <laughs> it. Ryan, you got any shout outs? Speaking of vaccinations, shout out to all the frontline workers, healthcare workers, still delivering COVID tests and also administering vaccines to the nation. Shout out to you. Yeah. They're, they're busting ass. I went to Walgreens to get my first dose the other day. And, you know, for a little pharmacy in Salem, like they were, the workers there were just moving fast and they're getting people in and out and they're working really hard. So, yes, RJ, shout out to them. Jacqueline's Cage, you got anything? Uh, shout out to Zack Snyder for wasting four hours of my life. Come on, man. He didn't waste four hours. He probably wasted like two hours, but the the action scenes were good. You got to give him that. Yeah, those were fun. What are you talking about? That's that's why that's why he's a director. That's why he's a director. Well, he's a, he ain't a writer. I'll tell you that. that. Um, well, I don't know if he's writing. I think he had a writing credit. But my point is, exactly. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't think I. I really have any shout outs at this moment in time. So. I'll take the Zach. You can take the. You can take my extra shout out and give it to somebody else. Well, my shout out goes to the people in Alaska. That's right, the last frontier. Shout out to the Vosick brothers, Courtney. I know Courtney Vosick. She's not in Alaska, but shout out to all the Vosicks, especially you, Ted Vosick, and Eve Vosick. They, they're just. The Vosick family, they're wonderful people. Ted and Eve, they let me stay at their place. A recent college graduate living at their home for a couple months 
trying to scramble some money for your Europe trip. Who does that? It, it was it was ridiculous that they let me stay at their house um, while I was trying to figure my stuff out. So just incredibly nice people. So, so generous. I can't say enough nice things about them. It's it's amazing what they did. Although Ted is a Seattle Seahawks fan, I can't really forgive him for that. Although Dangerous might be on the move here soon. We'll see. Probably not, but screw the Seahawks. Sorry, Ted. Had to be said. Screw your camo jersey, too. Who gets a camo NFL jersey? What the hell, Ted? And that is the end of our episode. I thought that was a fantastic episode. A lot of content here. Smash that subscribe button. Smash that follow button. Hopefully we get more guests in the coming weeks. Regardless, have a good night. See you next time. Oh my god, RJ. I can't believe that you're was complaining about going to bed. Okay. Do I stop recording?